Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever, your faithfulness to all generations. And there are a lot of people in this place today who need to experience your love, who need to know they're loved, who showed up with one version of anxiety or another, worried about the kids, nervous about the job, wondering about the meeting. Would you demonstrate again your love for us as we open your word, meet us, meet us as we are, and take us to the place you want us to be for the good of the world and the glory of your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So this is Pentecost Sunday. If you're into the liturgical calendar, you're well aware. It's the day the church has set aside to celebrate the Spirit's descending, enlivening the church, urging the church on in life and mission for the glory of Christ and the good of the world. It's Pentecost Sunday, the day the church has set aside to remember who we are and why we are. So in that way, it's kind of like a birthday. It's kind of like the church's birthday. So in celebration, uh, we thought we'd spend a little time reflecting on the church. This is from the uh, Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, and to hold up righteousness is a church that has no right to be. Not for yourself, O church, do you exist any more than Christ existed for himself. And you know, since we're having fun, it's <laughs> Pentecost, you know. This is from Phillips Brooks. All too often, the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it, rather than a window opening a different way. Hmm. That's good. Uh, does that describe us, by the way? Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday, uh, the Sunday the church sets aside to celebrate the Spirit descending, enlivening, urging the church on in life and mission for the good of the world and the glory of Christ. So we're going to begin today a summer series of sermons through the book of Acts. Read along as the summer moves along. We'll send you some resources periodically throughout the summer. Uh, for now, for today, let's start here. Let's start with this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind that filled the entire house where they were seated. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were in Jerusalem at that time devout Jews from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because they heard them speaking in their own native languages. They, they said to one another, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native languages? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking of God's deeds of power. Amazed and perplexed, they said to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions, your young men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both male and female, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. I will show portents in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Judea, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God through wonders and deeds of power and signs that God did through him among you as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, for it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my body will live in hope. For he will not let his faithful one go to the pit or his holy one experience corruption. You've shown me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, all of us are witnesses. Having therefore been exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. And fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. But since he was a prophet, he had sw God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on this throne. And foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He will not let his faithful one experience corruption or his holy one see the pit. This Jesus God raised up, and of it all of us are witnesses, and being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that we both see and hear. For David did not himself ascend into the heavens, but says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the others, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, well, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that you may receive the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, for those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And he continued to exhort them with many other arguments, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who received the message were baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 were added to the number. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon all of them because of the signs and wonders done by the apostles. Those who believed held everything together in common, and they sold their goods and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they continued to meet together in the temple, eating bread in their homes with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I should say thanks be to God. In just a minute, we're going to come uh, to this table. Uh, We're going to feast on the goodness of God here. But on the way, we want you to notice with us, they weren't alone. We want you to see with us, each of them was inspired. And all of them rallied around Jesus. Uh, So notice with us, they weren't alone. This is how the story of Pentecost begins. The, the, The story of the Spirit descending starts like this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They weren't alone. They were together, which is becoming a bit of a habit, you may have noticed. The night of the resurrection, John tells us in his Gospels, the disciples were all together in one place. Remember that? And then a week later, John says it again, they were together They were again together in the house, which is a reflection that the author to the letters of the Hebrews would say later, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. They weren't alone. You can't do this alone. You can't journey alone. They met together. Now I realize it's uh, maybe a bit of preaching to the choir. It's Sunday morning and this is a sanctuary and you're here. But maybe there's a couple of you who have wondered, why? What for? What's the point? And then then occasionally you don't, and then eventually you stop, and so begins the slow withdrawing. And this is not about church attendance. Don't be confused. I don't sit up here counting, though I do recognize all of you and (laughs) catalog in my brain who's here and who's not here. Uh, This this is not about... Worship in the church is both a thing and a sign. When we gather around the word and we gather at the table and we say our prayers and we sing our songs, the spirit of God shapes and forms us in ways mostly unrecognizable to us but still in us. You walk away, let's just get real, you walk away saying, did I like the sermon? Was the music my kind? The Spirit walks in to shape and form you for life for God. Worship is a thing itself. You may not recognize it, but it happens anyway, and it's a sign. It's a sign. Gathering here is not the end itself, but rather a sign pointing us to a deeper commitment to Christian community. And so it becomes a symptom when you stop showing up. You know what I'm saying? Now, fair enough, the church has not always been a beacon of brilliance in public life. 
co-opted by contrary agendas, complicit in all kinds of broken systems. And those who gathered on that first Pentecost day weren't actually unaware of the utter dysfunction that can sometimes exist in the with the people of God. The same people who gathered on that first Pentecost Sunday had a history with Abraham. Abraham, the one who went into uncharted territories because he believed God was faithful. Abraham, who nearly killed his son, pandered his wife, and slept with another woman. Rebecca, we can say with a tone of heroism in our voices, or Rebecca, who lied to her husband and chose favorites between sons. Though the history of our life together hasn't always been stunningly brilliant, still they met together. Still they came together. You can't do it on your own. There is a necessary relationship between the gathering of God's people in worship and the work of God's Spirit among us. So this is just for fun. I've been a pastor for 16 years. I've recognized their, uh, you know, worship attendance sort of wax and wanes. Uh, Christmas, Easter, we're all here, we're all in. Mother's Day, it's a peak day. Next week, Father's Day, a precipitous decline. <laughs> it happens every year. And I'm not asking you to change your plans, have your brunch, do whatever you want to do. But I also wonder, <laughs> is it a symptom? Is it a symptom? of a deeper reality that maybe one Sunday doesn't have to define all Sundays, but is a, a symptom of something deeper inside? Should we move on? <laughs> when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. There's a necessary relationship between the people of God gathered in worship and the Spirit of God working among us. That's what I got, J.G. What you thinking? That's nice. That thanks, sounds great. Thanks. Did you like that? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also thinking that it's interesting that you noticed that they were all together because I'm noticing that each of them were inspired. Hmm. So it starts out, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the rush of a violent wind that filled the entire house where they were seated. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, but a tongue rested on each of them. The arena for the Spirit's descending is the gathering, but the location of the Spirit's descent is the person. And this emerges as a theme throughout Scripture. At creation, let us create humankind in our image and according to our likeness. At creation, the individuals bestowed with the image of God. And it doesn't take long as you're reading through Scripture that most of the time God works in and through people. Sure, creation, yes, God acts alone. New creation, absolutely. And I'll give you the resurrection thrown in as well too. <laughs> but most of the time God is acting through people, with people. God called Abraham. God invited Sarah God needed Isaiah. God worked through Ruth. And in the fullness of time, God called Mary and sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose to redeem. And then there was Peter, and then Paul, and now us, and now you, all for the purpose of God's reconciling, redeeming work to make all things new and all things right. A tongue rested on each of them. 
And I think this, at least, at the very least, has two implications for our life. The first is be attentive to the image of God in one another. It's far too easy and way too predictable to interact with other, others and think, oh, how tall they are, or how good-looking they are, or how annoying they are, or how frustrating they can be, or how rich they are, or how needy they are. All of this objectifying a human being who is created in the image of God and endowed with the Spirit of God. So what if the question that we ask ourselves in our mind when we're interacting with someone, the first question isn't, are you like me? Or do I like you? But instead, can I see the image of God in you? Can I celebrate the Spirit in you? I wonder what kind of effect that would have on the way we treat each other. C.S. Lewis puts this really well when he says, next to the blessed sacrament itself, the holiest object in our view is our neighbor. Each of them, a tongue rested on each of them. So that's one implication. Here's a second for our lives. You cannot be reduced, you cannot reduce yourself to biology, anthropology, sociology. We're not simply a collection of cells who's determined to act a certain way. And we're not a pawn in some cultural game that predicts our desires and our behaviors. And we're not a cog in the wheel of history rolling on through time. Each of us filled with the Holy Spirit, a tongue rested on each of us. So resist the feeling that you have to act the way you naturally think or that you're just behaving in a way that is so your generation or the way that the cultural climate tells you to behave and react and converse, a tongue rested on each of them. There's another theologian, a British one, named N.T. Wright, who says this. He puts it beautifully. Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. So what if it's true? What if heaven and earth meet in us, filled with the Holy Spirit? What if the Spirit abides in us for the purpose of offering our lives as a gospel witness to the world in everything that we do, the particularities are coming in, are going out of our day-to-day -day life? What if it's true? A tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I got. You want to take us to the table? Yeah, yeah, actually I do. I also want to, I want you to notice with us, they all rallied around Jesus. So this wild act of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire burning and the rush of a violent wind blowing and people talking in other languages, and then they all think they're drunk. Peter stands up, recites the prophecy of Joel, and then the introduction to his sermon begins like this, Jesus of Nazareth. The content of his sermon goes like this, Jesus of Nazareth, and the conclusion of his sermon ends like this, Jesus of Nazareth. All of this action of the Holy Spirit points to, culminates in, and arrives at Jesus Christ. The work of the Spirit in our lives always, and I'm using that word very technically, always leads us deeper and deeper into life with Christ. It, it's not just Pentecost. The Bible begins 
the Spirit of God hovering over the chaotic waters. The Bible ends, come Lord Jesus. Uh, John's vision and revelation of worship begins, at once I was in the Spirit, and it ends, every creature in heaven and on earth singing worthy is the Lamb. The book of Acts begins, basically a tongue rested on each of them. The book of Acts ends with Paul announcing the kingdom and reign of Jesus Christ. The Spirit's work in us always leads us deeper and deeper into life with Christ. We like to reduce the work of the Spirit in our lives to who's got which gifts. Who can do what thing? And surely the Spirit works in us in remarkable and wonderful ways, but when we reduce it to what gift we have, we reduce it to ourselves, which is a cul-de-sac to which there is no end. The work of the Spirit in us always leads us deeper and deeper into life with Christ. So if you make reconciliation the grand end of the Christian faith, you'll find yourself in a dead end. But when we pursue the person and purposes of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves reconciling in the world. If you make love the great value of the Christian faith divorced from the embodied person, you'll find yourself utterly socially confused. But rather, if you pursue Christ, you'll find yourself loving more and more like Christ. If you make religion the end game, you'll say creeds and sing songs and have lots of buildings. But if you pursue Christ, You'll, you'll be shouting the creed and singing the songs and doing all sorts of things in gospel ministry. Pursue Christ is the point. The work of the Spirit always leads us deeper and deeper into life with Christ. So in the back, there's going to be a couple of people signing you up for children's ministry. If that's about a children's ministry program, you can have it. <laughs> it's about raising children and the truth of God's Word and the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. So we've got this building project going on wherever it is. The pillars are going to be fine. Don't worry. Let's not move back in if it's just about a building. So we just hired Joel Borsma, full-time pastor of college ministries. Let's not do it if it's not about deeper and deeper in life with Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. The work of the Spirit always leads us into life with Christ. So I'll give C.S. Lewis the last word. Uh, look for yourself, and in the end you'll find hatred, loneliness, rage, ruin, and decay. Look for Christ, and you'll find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.